I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. When's the last time you took a moment in, in wonder, just really marveled at the world around you? It seems the older I get, the older we get, the, um, the more familiar the world becomes, the less energy we put into really observing it and paying attention to the beauty and the amazing uh, way that creation is put together and operates. I live out here now on the Puget Sound, and as I, um, as I come toward my house every day, there's this giant hill. And uh, it's, I guess we're about maybe three blocks from the water. And so this is just this last plunge toward the shoreline. And as we go down that hill, the mountains are out on the other side of the, the sound. And this just expanse of water is right in front of us. And it's just, it catches my breath every single time. And I know that there are people who have lived around this their whole life. And really, it's just kind of, oh, well, that's the landscape. That's how things are around here. And it's nothing big to them. And, and I hope that I never get to that place with, with the Puget Sound. But I know from experience that this is generally the way that things go. I'll be around a certain thing. I'll really be amazed with it for a while. And then I'll get distracted and I'll get caught up. And, and you may be thinking, well, surely, surely not, though. Because, you know, it's just right there and the mountains are there and it's beautiful. And, but here's the deal. If you have kids, you know, when, when they first are born, you have this moment of just pure, amazing, overwhelming wonder at the life that's laid out right in front of you. And you watch and wonder as they begin to wonder at things like how their fingers move, right? You've got a baby and they'll look at their hand for a very long time, really enraptured by the fact that they have this hand and they can open it and close it, and, and lo and behold, it, it does things right in front of their face. And as a parent, I can sit there watching them watch their hand and really be enraptured by this. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to watch a child in wonder. And then they grow up, and then they're wondering about different things, about uh, the, the way that a dandelion uh, blows away when they just slightly breathe on it or uh, the little flower that popped up in between the sidewalk crack. And they'll bring that in and they'll wonder at it. And just the other day, they brought in some little rock that halfway looked like plastic and halfway looked like a rock. They were trying to figure out what it was. And their big thing that they wanted to do, they wanted to bring it in and put it under the microscope and look at it because they were fascinated by this, whatever it was, bead or plastic or rock or uh, and they spent probably 15 to 20 minutes looking at this thing under a microscope. And how often you and I miss out on the opportunity to wonder. And I look at this, partly uh, I'm, I'm in that mode uh, right before the baby comes. We have our eighth child is due uh, just at any moment. And, and so I, I'm already primed and ready to see this child and to wonder for a little while, right, as we parents do, uh, at the, the amazing way that God has created us and the amazing way that that manifests 
in an infant. And, and so I'm, I'm maybe a little bit wired toward that right now, but I, I, I'm just fascinated not so much even by our wonder, but by how easily and how quickly we move away from it. How easily and quickly we say, oh, I've got this figured out now. I can put that over here in this category and in this box, and I don't really have to pay any more attention to it other than the cursory, I'm going to look over there and make sure that it's still there, and now I can move on. And when this happens, when we get to that place where the familiarity makes it to where we don't even look at it, I really believe that we impoverish ourselves because God has given us each day these gifts, the gifts of, of nature and of relationship and, and of him, himself, his own presence, and how quickly we no longer marvel at it. Uh, I have the, the privilege and the honor of working with uh, families as they approach First Communion. And it's amazing to watch a second grader and a seven and eight-year-old to look at the Eucharist in a really fresh way and to, to take it quite as it is and say, wow, this, this is Jesus and Jesus is giving himself for me. And to watch them react to the first time they receive the Eucharist and how quickly we move on from that, how quickly we no longer wonder at the fact that the immensity of the Godhead, the immensity of the, the divine life is present in that tiny little host, waiting for you and me to receive it, waiting for you and me to take into ourselves all that Christ is. And how there in that little host, Christ is waiting for us in the tabernacle. He's waiting for us in the monstrance for us to come and wonder, not at the composition of the host, but at the fact that God has chosen to be in our midst. He's chosen to be close to us in such a humble way. He's chosen to be veiled and to be hidden and yet still present to us in a remarkable way, an intimacy that, that really is difficult to fathom. And so we, we look at it and we marvel at it and then we become familiar with it and then we move on. And we go to Mass and we hear the homily and we receive the Eucharist and we move on. And so I think right now, as I'm expecting this baby to come just at any moment, I think right now I want to recapture that wonder. I want to, again, enter into the mystery that's provided for us at Mass. And I want to look at the whole world through the eyes of that little child. Because as Jesus said in Matthew 18, when we become like that little child, we become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We're going to explore a little bit more this idea of living in wonder and in creativity and all that goes with that as we talk with Jill Simons, founder of Pink Salt Riot. It's going to be a fantastic conversation. Don't go anywhere. Unless you go over to social media, join us there, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. 
And today we're we're digging in to this question of creativity and how we express our faith in the creative realm. Uh, we're talking today with Jill Simons out of the Diocese of Tulsa, lives there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but she is an Iowa native coming all the way from Grinnell, Iowa. So we have both of the listening audiences covered, uh, both in Iowa and here in Oklahoma. Uh, Jill, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. So Jill, I remember when you first moved into Oklahoma, because I was working at the Diocese of Tulsa at the time, and your husband was very involved in some of the things around the chancery offices. And you came into town, fresh-faced, young, newlywed, um, full of, of hope and vigor. And it's the kind of thing that working in marriage and family life, you see all the time, right? You see that that vivacious joy. And, and it's not uncommon does it get jaded as the years progress, uh, because as we talk about when we did our marriage prep, um, whenever our expectations don't meet our reality, frustration is the result. And so people come in with certain expectations of marriage and, and it doesn't work out that way and they get really frustrated. One of the things that I have just loved as I've watched you all from a distance is that you obviously had very good expectations right up front in, in what you expected from marriage, what you expected from the sacrament and from each other, because that joy has just never gone away as we've watched. Oh, well, thank you. That's high praise. <laughs> so we bring you on today. I want to talk with you specifically about um, creativity and and the feminine genius, how you express that creativity, what that looks like, because you've taken it to really a, a an entrepreneurial level that uh, smashes and defies and exceeds expectations and conventions. So uh, uh, you have... You've done a number of businesses, but the two that you're really progressing with right now, one is Pink Salt Riot. Um, if you've not heard of this, you need to go to PinkSaltRiot.com because this is really fascinating and amazing stuff. The other one is KindredForest.co. Uh, go take a look at those. But let's talk a little bit about this process of getting into uh, these businesses, what, what the purposes of these were for you Um to start off with, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. Absolutely. So, uh, like he said, I moved to Tulsa and, um, found a full-time job right away, right before my husband and I got married, we were engaged and it was just soul sucking. I didn't enjoy it at all. And it just really, um, pushed the borders of a lot of my ethics. And I just couldn't figure out how I was going to keep going. And, um, so part of, um, just, one of the wonderful things about my husband is that he was first year middle school teacher at the time. Um, and you can imagine what that salary is. And um, he said, quit, just stop. There's absolutely no reason for you and us um, by extension to be so unhappy all the time. That's not what life is about. So we just took this incredible leap of faith, no backup plan. And I quit this job and I started a handmade company. I had had them when I was younger in high school and college and um, took that pretty far um, in the secular space and then really felt the call to move into more of the Christian and Catholic marketplace. Um, we joke that we lost the first half of our friends in, from the secular space when we had our first child and the second half when we had our second child because um, there was a lot of the population control contingent amongst those people. 
So um, we decided we needed better friends. We wanted to move into a different handmade <laughs> sphere. So this is at the time, this is in 2016. So Catholic handmade was really in its infancy um, at that time. There was not very many people doing that. And talk a little bit, just for those who don't know, what do you mean? What does the term mean when you say uh, handmade space or handmade businesses or Catholic handmade? Yeah, so... Um, the handmade space is really made up of artisans, makers of all varieties. So you think about soap and textiles and jewelry and all kinds of things that can be handmade and really taking those things back from manufacturing and returning to a lot more of the way that things have traditionally been done where products are kind of imbued with worth by the time and care and attention put into creating it. Yeah. So this is something that's very interesting to me for a number of reasons. One is that, um, as Pope John Paul II talks about uh, women at work, one of the things he talks about is that we need to make space for women to be women at work and not to uh, to make them fit within the, the culture and the corporate structure of men. Not to say that a, a woman can't be a CEO and succeed in that uh, and do very well in corporate America, but I think that we need to really take a look at the fact that the way that we worked in history was very different than the way that we work today. And the structures that are set up today are not structures that necessarily value the worker or the person doing it. And so even so much as to say, yes, we need to create a way for for women to work in a way that they're valued for their femininity and not uh, penalized for that, where there's some uh, a stronger sense of equality there. But I think we really need to look at what does our work generally uh, as a culture, uh, how are we set up to really value the dignity of the worker, period, no matter whether they're male or female, so that they can be authentically themselves and not, as you said earlier, uh, stuck as a cog in a soul-sucking industry. Absolutely. Yeah. So that is a huge part of what this kind of sector of the industry grew out of. And that very much happened in the secular space first. And then um, there was a lot of women, primarily, this is very much a movement driven by women, both in and out of the church. Um, There's a lot of women especially in the church, starting in like 2015, 2016, that started looking at what was happening in the secular space and had, you know, similar talents and skills that they wanted to use, but they really wanted to use it in a specific way to serve their faith, to serve the church as a whole. And so I was among them at that time, and I had done it a couple times before. So my learning curve was a little bit faster um, starting out uh, than in 2016. But um, I made the transition to working in the Christian space. And I just absolutely love it. And this, just this year, we've kind of um, mentioned our two projects. We've really kind of split even more so that we have Pink Salt Riot has become more of our across the board Christian brand. We really focus on the Bible. We really focus on the truths that knit us all together as Christians and um, are not, you know, where there's not that division between Protestants and Catholics, whereas Kindred Forest Co. is really, really intensely Catholic. We're all Catholics that work um, in the company here, and we really have a heart for serving that community. But we also really have a heart to reach out. So that's what, how we're how we're doing that with both of our brands right now. We're talking today with Jill Simons, founder of Pink Salt Riot. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, you say we, and a lot of people when they think of of handmade, they think of like 
Etsy, where there's an Etsy shop, where there's an individual, like my wife has done this a few times, where she uh, she does some creative outlet and as an individual sells that creative outlet. But this is not what Pink Salt Riot is. Uh, y- not anymore. <laughs> That's how we started. <laughs> but yes. So you've, Nowadays. you've expanded quite a bit. Talk a little bit about what what is Pink Salt Riot comprised of right now? Who's part of the operation? Yeah, so right now um, our team is growing and we're at a interesting transition time with our team. But essentially we have fulfillment staff and then we also have staff makers. And then I serve as creative director. So I do all of um, our product design and brand photography and um, web design. So really anything that's the creative visual side of things is what I manage. And then I have people who are good at numbers that do the admin. And I have um, my just really wonderful organized people that take care of all of our shipping and fulfillment. And so that's, that's been one of the beautiful things about it is that we've been able to create a bunch of um, smaller jobs. They're not full-time jobs and that's by intention um, because we could just create one or two full-time positions and call it good, but we've intentionally created more smaller positions that will allow mothers to work just while their children are at school Hmm. and students and things like that who have non-traditional situations. Um, And we tell all our employees when we hire them that it's most important. We all, we, we do all happen to be moms right now. We tell them that it's more important to us that they are a mom than that they would work for us. And so when kids are sick, you just stay home and it's no questions asked and everyone's cross-trained so that people can pick up jobs for other people. And that we're trying to build that kind of village mentality within our company so that we can support people primarily in their vocation, both through income and through making it work when their life doesn't fit into kind of the standard job package. Yeah. It's really interesting that we have this, this concept and this idea about work. Uh, and the, you know, we talk about the, the work ethic in the U S really is a, a Protestant work ethic. And it comes from a, a culture that, um, that valued the work in a different way than we as Catholics do. And, and I think of the, you know, the role model that we ought to be looking towards is to the lives of the saints and, and specifically yeah. the one that comes up to me. And I'm sure that this is one that you're very familiar with and connected to is St. Zelie, St. Zelie Martin, who was a lace maker and not only a lace maker, but she was a head of a company and had other lace makers under her. And her husband, who was the, the clock worked with clocks and watches. He left that job so that he could help her do the lace. And yet we have this really, uh, different idea of what the working environment and the even the marital relationship in terms of work and priority of work should look like uh, mm-hmm. that that isn't reflected in the lives of the saints. And so perhaps in all of this, we really ought to turn our attention not so much to the status quo or the way things have been done here, but take a look back and ask for the invocation of the saints and follow the example of the saints as well. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And that's very much um, what we try to do and really just try and, you know, in being in the handmade space, being a product designer, so much of my mantra for so long has been create what you wish existed. And that just as much applies to running a company as it does to creating a thing. 
for me. Um, because when we had our, had our children early on, there wasn't an option for me to not work. There needed to be something coming in from somewhere and, you know, finding something that could offset childcare and all of the things that women deal with, um, to try and figure out how to both take care of their family financially and serve their family physically, uh, is so challenging. And so I created this job for myself to do that, but I also want to do that for as many other people as I'm able to as well. And also just create a viable model for that, that then can be borrowed by other companies to create jobs like this in other places for other women. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people who are listening to this, they're potentially in Oklahoma, they've heard of Pink Salt Riot, and they don't know about the reach of Pink Salt Riot. So uh, how far are the tendrils of the company reaching these days? Well, we ship internationally and we have um, a couple international orders go all over the world every week. We have a lot of regulars in the Philippines and in Italy and um, Saigon and Hong Kong and all over the place. So um, we, we ship all over. And when we do a big sale or something like that, we keep our internal tally. And almost always we get within one or two states of all, getting to all 50 states when we do um something big. So who are the outliers? Who are the states we need to hit and, and really get them involved so we can get a full, uh, full na- national press? Well, for a while it was Hawaii, but we know we, someone has found us in Hawaii and she's loyal. So we're good there now. Um, but I, I'll have to look. All right. I'll get back to you. <laughs> we're talking today with Jill Simons, founder of Pink Salt Riot. Go find her over at pinksaltriot.com. Follow her on Facebook, Twitter, and by all means, follow them up by putting a few things in that shopping cart and checking out where I'm around as you go. We'll be right back with a lot more in this conversation about creativity. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and we're talking today with Jill Simons, creator, maker, founder of Pink Salt Riot, uh, kindredforest.com. Did I say that right? I think I did. Kindredforest.co. Kindredforest.co. Yeah, .co. Uh, And we're talking about um, entrepreneurship, uh, creativity, ingenuity, Uh, Being a mom, being a woman, participating in the feminine genius, following the example of the saints into this, this, um, this business, but it's more than a business because you've been involved in businesses in the past. You've had other, uh, other shops that you have run physical spaces as well as online spaces. Um, And, and that wasn't enough. And you had this conversation about uh, feeling maybe a little downtrodden about defending the faith. Break us into this conversation and, and that birthed, essentially, uh, birthed Pink Salt Riot. Absolutely. So my husband is a wise man and uh, he teaches theology. So he's very used to helping people process uh, things that they're going through. He teaches high school theology. And one day I was talking with him and this was 
you know, four or five years ago. So this was really before even the kind of acceleration of the animosity in the cultural climate that we're dealing with today. Um, but even at that time, I had a conversation with him about how, about my frustration where it felt like there was only two choices to respond, especially online to misinformation or just arguments about the reality of things. And I said, it seems like I have to either just be quiet, move on, let it go, or I have to be argumentative and be citing, you know, the Bible and the catechism aggressively. And it just is exhausting either way. And my husband kind of stopped for a second and thought and said, well, I think that the problem is that you're insisting that there's only those two options. I really think that the third way is to respond just with joy and to speak to people briefly and in charity with the truth and then move on and to also live your life and evangelize through the sense of joy that you have in going about um, the task before you essentially. Mm-hmm. This is something that, uh, that I talk about here a lot because there is this sense that, um, well, I have to defend the church. Well, you know, the church has been around for a very long time. I don't, I don't need to, to defend Christ. I don't need to defend the church. I need to be faithful in that. Uh, one of the things that uh, it says in, I think, 1 Peter 3.15 is always be ready to have an answer for the hope that's within you and do this with gentleness and respect. And that presumes the question first. So how do we get them to ask the question for the hope that's within us if we're not exhibiting that through joy? Uh, and the funny way I say that is, so therefore go out and live a questionable life. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we want people to ask those questions, and, and this is the way that we do it, with, with the joy. So have you had any opportunities through Pink Salt Riot uh, to, to answer as people have come forward? Have there been any, any curious takers of why are you the way that you are? Well, um, I think that there's been a lot of times where especially the name is intriguing to people. And when we talk about tell the story of why, which I realize that we haven't done. So in a nutshell, pink is based on the fact that it's the liturgical color for joy. That's why we use it on third Sunday of Advent and um, also in the middle of Lent. Um, So that's kind of the joy of what's coming which is very much where our joy comes from. And then we're called to be salt of the earth in the gospels. And the riot part is about how we can all rise up together in this joy, but it has to be something we do together. It can't be this, you know, one person living in joy. You know, Christ can sustain you in that, but he also gives us other people for a reason. (laughs) So it really takes this community um, to make this joy sustainable And so um, people have definitely inquired about the name and wondered more about that. And there have also been people that have been touched by the company. I've really seen it more on the back end of things, Um, people that have interviewed and people that have been interested in our operation and stuff like that, that we've shared with um, and are very interested in how we do our hiring and how we are flexible with our employees and things like that, um, that I really see as the concrete practical expression of living with this kind of lack of fear, essentially, that drives a lot of this is the way it has to be. You're also, you're creating products specifically that help others express that joy uh, in in a way that might cause 
their circle of influence uh, to, to have those questions. So you're really facilitating Absolutely. these broader discussions of joy as well. Yes. And one of my favorite things that we're doing on Monday, we will have um, St. Our saint emblems that we do for Kindred Forest Coat, we're going to put them on pop sockets and they're just going to be available for two weeks. But they're like this most wonderful conversation starter when people have these beautiful, like engraved wooden pop sockets with just a picture that is not a picture of the saint. It's a symbol associated with them. And a lot of those raise questions just to begin with. And they're just this awesome way to start a conversation. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Jill Simons from Pink Salt Riot. You are, through through the work that you're doing, through the art that you're doing, you are preaching the gospel. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not that whole idea attributed to St. Francis of preach the gospel at all times when necessary use words. You're, you're baiting the question, right? You're creating the opportunity to be able to proclaim the gospel. And so let's talk a little bit about that as well, because speaking is one of the things that you do. And you do it so well that there was a time that the diaconate formation in Tulsa had you come in to help the deacon candidates learn to their homiletics a little bit better, how to convey the information that they've been given. So talk a little bit about um, the importance of communication and why it's such a, a, a love of yours. Oh, absolutely. So there's this wonderful Aristotle quote that... Um, they who tell, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but they who tell the stories best um, drive the culture. And we have the best story already, but we're in so many situations just not telling it the way that it deserves to be told. And it was such an honor to work with the deacons um, because there a lot of times the things that hold people back are technical aspects. And that was the situation with all these deacons. They had this wonderful fire and joy and love for Christ within them that was just being locked up a little bit by just techniques of speaking. And so as soon as we were able to work on those, then that was able to just open up and flow forth. And it was just a really beautiful process to watch. Um, But I have a background in theater. That's what my degree is in from Benedictine. And so I have just this incredible place in my heart for theater, um, but not, not as theater for its own sake. It matters to me so much because of what it teaches us about using our own voice and having the both opportunity and responsibility to speak well and to be heard and to draw people into these conversations through these really human methods, through story, through sharing deeply and vulnerably about what we're going through. And that's something that so often what I think a lot of people um, see from the church or perceive as what the church has to offer as being very um, rigid or removed or, you know, canon law and things like that. And when that is really not the, you know, brunt of what the church offers us, but it's kind of this perception that we have to use our own selves, our speaking and our voices to bridge people to help them see the beauty of those things. And I think we have to be somewhat uh, creative in the way that we tell the stories, because the story has had so many, let, let's just stay with the story metaphor. There have been so many adaptations of our story, so many adaptations of the gospel that, that change a little thing here, a little thing there, or a, a perspective or an idea, or uh, that somehow color the gospel in a way that people are bored with the story and they're no longer interested in the story. So we have to be creative in grabbing people's attention so that they can hear 
the original and the authentic story uh, in a way that that subverts their expectations. I think that's the reason that we have to have that joy because there have been so many people who have shared the story in a very uh, antagonistic kind of way that if the joy doesn't precede it, people won't even be open to hearing the story. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's why one of the most excited, um, one of the projects I'm most excited about right now is um, something called Eight Beats, which is a film project of eight short films um, based on the Eight Beatitudes by um, an enormous crew of incredibly talented directors, um, artists, and actors. And I got to preview, um, I think, five of them last fall. And they're just incredible. And they tell these stories using the very best of what the craft of filmmaking has to offer right now um, in just these incredible ways. So let's talk about uh, our responsibility as disciples, not just as not as lay people, but as disciples to proclaim the gospel. Right. We we have this idea that, oh, well, yeah, preaching is just for uh, the, the priests and the deacons. Well, technically, that's not correct. The homily, the expounding of the gospel in the context of the Mass is reserved for the priests and the deacons, but all of us are called to preach the gospel. Uh, People get all up in arms about whether women are allowed to preach or not. I'm like, St. Catherine of Siena would say that, yes, they are, but she never would have done it in the context of the liturgy. So I think we need to expand our understanding of how is it that we preach and who does preaching belong to? And I think it belongs to all of us as disciples in certain contexts. Absolutely. Yes. I think that, um, that is something that where I think the culture especially tries to put Catholic women in a box and say, you should be rising up and wanting this, you know, wanting the priesthood and wanting these things because that's what it means to be equal. Um, when that's just not the truth, it's not the place for a woman to be speaking in that forum, but is it the place for a woman to be speaking within the church? Absolutely. We need to have, and that's part of why we need to create these additional opportunities for that to happen. And I think part of why, people think that, you know, women either need to preach during mass or not as all is because there's not other situations for people to address their it's, parishes and their communities. It's that same thing you were talking about earlier, that false choice of it has to be this or this when there is a third way. You know, you look at uh, the book of Acts and it says they met together daily and devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the breaking of bread. But we've, we've subverted that by, uh, by really making our mass culture and our, our church culture are subservient to uh, the the calendar and the structure that everything else around us has. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why I think that any opportunity to share our individual stories needs to be embraced, even when it's challenging, even when that is, you know, not the most comfortable thing. I have never not seen good come from sharing what God has done in our individual lives because you cannot argue with people's stories. And seeing the concrete ways that God has moved and arranged and created these gorgeous tapestries out of one individual life that is not possible to see looking only at the day-to-day, but to look at the whole and having the opportunity for people of all different backgrounds share these kind of stories is just part of what can kind of nurture this growth of joy and this growth of faith in seeing what God has done today. Yeah. We're talking with Jill Simons today. She's the founder of Pink Salt Riot. Go to pinksaltriot.com. 
Kindred Forest Co. That's kindredforest.co. A look at the products they have available. Buy some as presents for those that you love. And speaking of those that you love, when we come back, we're going to hear a reading from the book of Colossians and from St. Augustine's Confessions. Join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and today we talked with Jill Simons, founder of Pink Salt Riot. You can find her over at pinksaltriot.com and also kindredforest.co, kindredforest.co. And we talked with her about a number of things, everything ranging from the importance of creative expression to feminine genius, to her life as an entrepreneur and a mother. And it's a conversation well worth re-listening to. If you want to hear it again or share it with your friends, or if you missed any part of it, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You can get this episode from today in just a few minutes and share it on your social media. But while you're there, there's more to my conversation with Jill, as always, as we always give an extra segment, a couple of extra questions to our Patreon supporters. While you're there, if you want to help keep the show on the air and also get some great content in the process, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see something that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click that link and look through the descriptions. For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to weekly extra segments with each of our guests. Now, without further ado, let's dive into our reading from Scripture and from church history as we explore a little bit more this idea of wonder and the importance of wonder, specifically at the enormity of God's love for us. Our reading from Scripture comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him were created all things in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he himself might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things for him, making peace by the blood of his cross, through him whether those on earth or those in heaven. That reading comes from the book of Colossians chapter 1. Even when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, we, we tend to lose our sense of wonder. It becomes very familiar. We're used to hearing these words. We're used to going to Mass. And we lose the fact that this is revolutionary stuff. When you look at the, the history of religion, the history of mankind, the idea that God would come and live among us for our sake, 
for relationship with us and not merely to amuse himself. This is something that has never before been seen. And Paul is attempting to give the Colossians a little taste of this sense of wonder, to, to reintroduce them to the fact that God is not really capable of being fit into our boxes. So here he unpacks for us who precisely Christ Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the one that really, truly defies all categorization. And so because of that, he is someone we must gaze at, someone we must really meditate on and study and, and ponder because there is no easy category, no easy place to put Jesus that he fits nice and clear and perfect. We have to spend time and wrestle with it. And the moment that we think that Christ is understandable and comfortable and easily understood that's the moment that we need to go back to the drawing board because we've missed something if we make it too simple. We really have to resist the, the inclination and the propensity to try and simplify things and really just sit and wonder at all of the complexity of who Christ is and why Christ came and died for us. And of course, all this boils down to the fact that we are loved and we are loved infinitely by an infinite God. Someone who wrestles with that and puts it into words, I think quite nicely, is St. Augustine. And so our reading from church history today comes from the Confessions of St. Augustine. And when it finally made sense to St. Augustine is when he left off the categorization and entered into the profound mystery. And he says this, Urged to reflect upon myself, I entered under your guidance into the inmost depth of my soul. I was able to do so because you were my helper. On entering into myself, I saw, as it were, with the eye of the soul, what was beyond the eye of the soul, beyond my spirit, your immutable light. It was not the ordinary light perceptible to all flesh, nor was it merely something of greater magnitude, but still essentially akin shining more clearly and diffusing itself everywhere by its intensity. No, it was something entirely distinct, something altogether different from all these things. And it did not rest above my mind as the oil on the surface of the water, nor was it above me as the heaven is above the earth. This light was above me because it had made me. I was below it because I was created by it. He who has come to know the truth knows this light. O oh, eternal truth, true love and beloved eternity, you are my God. To you do I sigh day and night. When I first came to know you, you drew me to yourself so that I might see that there were things for me to see, but that I myself was not yet ready to see them. Meanwhile, you overcame the weakness of my vision, sending forth most strongly the beams of your light, and I trembled at once with love and dread. I learned that I was in a region unlike yours and far distant from you, and I thought I heard your voice from on high. I am the food of grown men. Grow then, and you will feed on me. 
nor will you change me into yourself like bodily food, but you will be changed into me. I sought a way to gain the strength which I needed to enjoy you, but I did not find it until I embraced the mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who is above all God blessed forever. He was calling me and saying, I am the way of truth. I am the life. He was offering the food which I lacked the strength to take, the food he had mingled with our flesh. For the word became flesh, that your wisdom, by which you created all things, might provide milk for us children. Late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. Late have I loved you. You were within me, but I was outside. And it was there that I searched for you. In my unloveliness, I plunged into the lovely things which you created. You were with me, but I was not with you. Created things kept me from you. Yet if they had not been in you, they would not have been at all. You called, you shouted, and you broke through my deafness. You flashed, you shone, and you dispelled my blindness. You breathed your fragrance on me. I drew in breath, and now I pant for you. I have tasted you. Now I hunger and thirst for more. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. That reading comes from the Confessions of St. Augustine. He wrote this sometime between 397 and 400, and, and I still am enraptured by his passion. I, I see the joy and I see just the absolute intensity of his love for God that was compounded as the years went on and wasn't diminished. The wonder increased the more he delved into the mystery. And it's intoxicating. It, it draws us in and it beckons you and I to enter into that same kind of wonder. Here we hear him saying, the more you dig, the more you ponder, the more you wonder at the person of Jesus Christ, the more you will hunger for that wonder. Because this is a mystery, the depths of which cannot really fully ever be plumbed. It's out of this wonder that as we meditate on the person of Jesus Christ, as we meditate on the love of God the Father, it's out of this wonder that we are able to do anything else, that creativity springs forth, that the things that give us joy in our life come from. And so I encourage you this week, spend some time in adoration. Go and look into the mystery of God present with us. It was through this meditation and this exploration of the mystery of God that all the great mystics of the faith came to have their profound encounters with God the Father. So go, get a, get a journal, get, get a sketch pad, and go to adoration and sit and listen and look and feel and experience the wonder of Christ with us in the Eucharist. 
That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in as we talked with Jill Simons. Share this week's episode with your friends on social media and join the community over at Patreon. That community supports us. And today's show was brought to you by Rodney Moxley and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click the Patreon link and join their numbers. Join the ongoing conversation with us on social media. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.